Welcome to the Evangel Temple Youth Ministries Podcast. You're about to listen to another message from Pastor Isaac Worley. We pray that this message would be instrumental in God speaking to you and drawing you closer to Him. Now, here's today's sermon. Sarah and I were talking just the other night and just kind of reminiscing about people that we used to... uh, talk to more than we do now, and uh, this one woman got brought up in Sarah and I's conversation just a few nights ago at the, ta- at the table, back when we lived in Kansas City before we were married, and Sarah actually worked with this woman, this friend that she had, and she, she didn't have the financial uh, means that really she needed to both provide for herself as well as her, her kid. She had a little, little boy, uh, and and she always needed to take her, her boy to daycare. And I, Sarah was telling me about how one conversation she had with this woman. It was winter time. It was really, really cold. And this girl just, this woman just opened up to Sarah at work and just started kind of just being honest about her, really her discouragement at, that, that she really isn't not only unable to, she's unable to provide for herself, but that's one thing, but Whenever she sees that reality in her son's life, it brings this whole extra weight to her. And she was opening up about this to Sarah. She was actually sharing how, with it being wintertime, um, her, her heater in her car went out. And she was, she was saying how that morning she was driving to take her boy to daycare uh, so that she could work. And her little boy was just crying because he was so cold in the back, in the back seat. And uh, she, she was just saying it broke my heart because, you know, it's one thing for me to be shivering, you know, uh, driving. And, uh, and I throw my blankets back there. Hopefully he'll warm up a little bit. But it's something entirely different when, when my, my son is, is hurting and he's shivering and, he, and he's cold. And, and it's because I can't provide for him what he's needing. And, and so she was just really brokenhearted about it and, and discouraged about it. And me thinking about this at the dinner table the other night, it just, it is a perfect representation of, of us spiritually, of how actually we should be. That we should see ourselves in that story when it comes to our spiritual lives. That we can't provide for other people what they need when it comes to their spiritual needs, their even emotional needs a lot of the times. Uh, but even more than that, we can't, we can't even provide for ourselves spiritually what we need before God. To present ourselves rightly before Him. The Bible talks about how we're just so broken in our sins. We are so deep and down in the muck and the mire of of our sin that we can't pull ourselves up out of that. And so as Sarah's just talking about this woman that was just so brokenhearted about her inability to provide for either her son or herself, I just saw myself in that. And I see each one of you, and, I, and, and my hope is that you guys would see yourselves in that story. That's, that's a good thing. It, it sounds crazy, but it's a good thing to see yourself in that story. That's what Christ has called us to do, to see ourselves as unable to do anything for ourselves spiritually, that we would be more dependent on him. And, and so my hope is that through this sermon and, uh, and just really just the, the reality of your life, I pray that you guys would see yourselves 
to be a lot like that woman when it comes to your spiritual lives. And you'd be brokenhearted about your inability to live a holy life, to, to present yourself rightly before God, that you, would, that you would be discontent with how you are so deep in the realities of your sin. I pray that would stir in your heart, make you brokenhearted about it, that you would never become content with being down in the muck and the mire, but you would regularly be not okay with that, but that it would point you that much more to him, that you would be so much more dependent on him who would pull you up out of it. And, and so... Um, that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. So if you are, if you're confident in your ability to be a good person, get this. If you are proud of your righteousness, this sermon's for you because you need to hear this. If you think you can provide for yourself, that you're like, I'm not that woman though. She, yeah, she's not able to provide for herself or her son, but I actually, I'm doing pretty good as being a good person spiritually. This sermon's for you. Because that's not the mindset of, of a Christian as what Christ called us to be. He called us to be desperately dependent on him. And actually a biblical wording that, that, uh, that, that we see in Scripture and we'll see tonight is actually poor in spirit. Poor in spirit. And that's actually, it, it, it kind of, um, it's this imagery almost. Like you're impoverished. You're the person standing on the side of the road with a cardboard sign saying, I have nothing. I lost it all. I need help. And we're showing that sign to God. Poor in spirit. Spiritually, I am impoverished. And you are too. And so I pray that tonight that that would be a reality in all of our lives and that we would accept that. And that in that acceptance, we would be that much more dependent on him. And so that's, what I, that's where I want to go tonight, uh, if you guys are tracking with me. We're starting this series tonight uh, called Radical Relationships. And what I'm really hoping that through this series and through this initial sermon in it is that we would, we would be so radical in our commitment and love for God, our passion for Him and making us who He's called us to be, that we would be radical Christians in the context of our relationships. And in just a few weeks, we're going to be in a different sermon series where that bottom line, uh, that bottom word is going to change to religion. And we're going to be radical Christians, radically committed to Jesus in our religious practices. And we're going to talk about fasting and, and, and prayer and, and tithing and, and all those things. But I want to talk tonight and, and for the next few weeks about our radical, radical Christian living in the context of our relationships. This really, it, we're going to be walking through chapter 5 of the book of Matthew, which is actually the first chapter in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. There's three chapters of it, and we're just taking chapter, uh, the first chapter, that's chapter 5, and how it talks about our radical commitment to Jesus in regards to our relationship with others. And, and he gives a lot of examples that we're going to dig into in later weeks about how we should be radically committed to him in our actions. He, he gives examples where we should be reconciling Rather than holding grudges, we should have pure thoughts about one another rather than lusting while looking at one another. We should be honest rather than lying. And, and catch this, okay? This is radical actions that affect our, our, our relationship with other people, that show Jesus to other people. As I am choosing not to lie, with my relationship with you, as I'm choosing that action to be honest to you, you are seeing a radical commitment to one who has made me more honest than a liar. And he's transforming me out of that 
sinful action into a good action. And so um, there's, there's this witness element to it as we are radically committed, committed to Jesus and our actions, the things we do, it is showing them our relationship with others a transforming God that changes who we are. There, he, he's going to talk about how we should pursue peace rather than retaliating from one another. In doing so, we are representing a God who, who wants to, to make peace and, and amends with humanity, who spits in his face. He wants to make amends rather than retaliate and, and send us to hell. He, he wants a relationship with us and to, to be a peacemaker. And so um, as we choose to not retaliate and to make peace, we are in our relationships representing a God who transforms and changes us to the radical Christians that we are. And so uh, there's actions, but he actually starts chapter 5, with characteristics. Radical characteristics that we wouldn't have without him, but in him we are able to have these traits, character traits, that in our relationship with other people, they see the God who transforms and changes people from who they were to who they now are, from a horrible person to now a person that is becoming holy and righteous, and upstanding, and admirable. And so we're going to be looking at those characteristics tonight, just a few of them actually. So let me start reading in chapter 5, and we're going to camp out here, uh, actually in verses 3 through 6, if you want to, if you're writing or taking notes. We're going to be looking at the first three, four Beatitudes, uh, is what they're called. So let me start reading. Matthew 5, verse 1, it says, When he, that's Jesus, saw the crowds, there's a bunch of people, he went on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to teach them, saying, and so he, he's talking to his disciples, but as we see in chapter 7, if you want to go if two chapters later, you know, look at the end of the book, and, and, and spoiler alert, um, at the end of the teaching, it says that all the crowds were amazed and they were astonished, I think is actually the word, uh, of the teachings that he was providing. And so, though he may have just intentionally been trying to teach the disciples, the crowds were listening in. And so this is what he says. These are the characteristics. He talks, um, he, he tells them that you should be living so that people, when they're looking at you, they would see a God that changes who they are. And so um, he says these words. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and they thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are Pure, those pure in heart, not are, are pure in heart, <laughs> for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. And the last one, blessed are those who are persecuted because, because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. So those are what are called the Beatitudes. They're characteristics of a Christ-like person, a Christian. And we're actually going to be looking at the first four tonight verses 3 through 6, and uh, more specifically, I want to be looking at the first one. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. That's what I was talking about, this whole idea of this, this woman who re realizes that she can't provide for herself, and so she's brokenhearted about that, but we should be like that spiritually so that we would be that much more dependent on God, this impoverished spirit. Spiritually, we are the ones that are on the side of the road with the cardboard sign looking to God. God, give me uh, something. Give me life. We have nothing in our, 
own abilities. We are poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. So this is someone that's a Christian. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. These are people that will become a part of the kingdom eternally that God has created for us, called heaven. These people that are poor in spirit, the way that Jesus is describing it, these are Christians. And I want to focus, okay, so track with me, because if you miss this one part, you're going to miss the rest of it, okay? This is, this is essential. This is like the, the hinge that everything holds everything together. I think that this, this first line, blessed are the poor in spirit, I think this is almost like a headliner for the next three. The next three, I think, intentionally fall in line behind it, and they're almost like subcategories to poor in spirit. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And therefore, as he goes on to talk about those who mourn and those who are humble and those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are descriptions of, or they are characteristics of, those who are poor in spirit, who are genuine Christians who inherit the kingdom of God. These are people that are poor in spirit. Just more specific characteristics of it. And so, that's where we're going to dive into how are those who mourn, how are those who are humble, how are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. How are those people poor in spirit and therefore able to show in their relationships an amazing God and the radical commitment to him? So this is the main point that I'm trying to say uh, tonight in our time together. I, I want to really push that our commitment to Jesus in, our, in front of other people, it must include an utter rejection of self-righteousness. Christianity and self-righteousness, they don't go together. They're polar opposites. When you put them together, they, they repel one another. To be a Christian is to say, I am not self-righteous. I need him to make me righteous. I need him to make me good. I need him to change who I am. I need a savior. And so our commitment to Jesus, as we show other people Jesus, as we represent Jesus, we should be utterly rejecting of self-righteousness. We should be poor in spirit, in other words. And these three... Beatitudes are descriptors of how we can do that. And so let's walk through them pretty quickly, okay? Uh, first, those who mourn are poor in spirit. And yes, that, that, I think that it does um, in part entail those who are socially or economically um, strained. They, they, they're, they're sad. They're mourning because they are unable to provide for themselves. They are persecuted or whatever you want to say. They are downtrodden. And so they're mourning economically, relationally, whatever that is. And so uh, we see in the Bible that God takes care of those people, that he's able to come down and pick them up and care for them, those who mourn. And so uh, if that's the, that, I think that partly is talking about it, but actually more specifically, I think, I think this is talking about how we, we mourn the reality of our sins. And I didn't just pull that out of thin air. I was reading uh, other people that also believe that. I think those people aren't just mourning about the reality of lives and the circumstances that they're in, but more specifically, they're mourning their sin and how sinful they are. They're not okay with their sin in their life. They're discontent with it and they are disgusted by it. Blessed are those people. We see in Psalm 51, 
David, he's talking about his sin, and really this is all about how he is so utterly aware of his sin, and he's mourning the reality of it. And it says this, against you, you alone, he's talking to God, I have sinned and done this evil in your sight, so you are right when you pass your sentence. You are blameless when you judge. And then he says there in verse 5, indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. And so I think the first one that really describes this poor in spirit, this, this impoverished spirit, this reality that I'm not enough, I am not good in myself, is we mourn our sin like David did. We are not okay with our sin. But the next one is that we are humble. Not only are we not okay with our sin, and not only are we disgusted by our sin, but we humbly realize there's nothing we can do to change it. In our own abilities, in yourself, think with me, the sin that you struggle with, the one that maybe no one else knows about. In your own abilities, get this, please get this, you won't change it. You won't break it. You won't. You won't break that sin that you hate that it's holding onto you and it grips you and you can't get out of it and you are fighting it, but you always go back to it. You won't fix it in yourself. You will stay stuck in it, but in the power of God, that God in you, transforming you and changing you and in giving you what it takes to change, he breaks those chains. He frees you from that. He pulls you out of the muck and the mire in your own powers. We must humbly realize we can't change it. Not only are we disgusted by it, not only do we mourn our sins, but we humbly realize that there is no changing it in our own powers. Paul says in Romans chapter 7, verse 19, For I do not do the good that I want to do, maybe you've heard this, but I practice the evil that I don't want to do. Man, isn't that me? Maybe that's you. Actually, I know it is because that's human nature. That's all of us. And then get what he says here in verse 24. He says, what a wretched man that I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? He's entailing that he's not going to be the one that does it. I can't change this. I keep doing the things I don't want to do and the things that I do want to do. I can't do them. We mourn our sin and we humbly realize that there's nothing that we can do to change it. And then thirdly, not only do we mourn our sin, are we disgusted by our sin, and we humbly realize that we can't change it, but we also thirst for God to change it. We crave that he would make us righteous. He would break those sin chains around us. We thirst and we hunger for God to give us that. This is what it means to be poor in spirit. This is what it means to be the person with the cardboard sign saying, God, change me. I'm impoverished. I have nothing. I have nothing. This is what it means to be poor in spirit. And look at the outcomes. <clears throat> Not only does it, is this a description of a person that, is, uh, that has the kingdom of heaven, that means they're, they're Christian, but it means that God will comfort us. He will care for you as you are poor in spirit and you realize your sin and you mourn it and you realize that you can't change anything about it, but you crave that he would change you and he would bring righteousness in you. If that is you and you are poor in spirit, then he comforts you. We see in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, it says, May our, our Lord Jesus Christ himself 
and God our Father who has loved us and given us eternal encouragement and good hope by grace. By grace, not because we deserve it, but by grace he has given us this encouragement. May he encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good work and word. You can almost substitute this idea of encouragement with comfort. I want you to hear this. Please, please, please hear this. Even if you're taking notes, hear this. If you are poor in spirit and you, that, what I just described is you, you mourn the reality of your sin. And you, you're starting to catch on that in your own powers, it's not changing. But you are craving and desiring God to change it for you and to do something to give you what it takes to get out of the sin in your life. May God encourage you and comfort you. Would you, as you open up the Bible and you just read what it says, would it be an encouragement, would it be a comfort that there is a God who loves and he forgives? And I think all of us always sometimes think we're the exception of how many times God can forgive, that he does forgive, you know, seven times 70, those people, but you don't understand how many times I've gone back to this sin. Would you find encouragement or substitute the word, would you find comfort in him as you're poor in spirit? Uh, not only that, but uh, they inherit the earth. I don't, I don't think all of us really necessarily know what that means. You know, what does that mean to inherit the earth? Well, uh, I think it really takes us back to Genesis 2, whenever he made Adam and Eve to, uh, to have dominion over the land, to have dominion over the world. As we would put our trust in God, we, we can read all throughout the Bible how he would exalt us and elevate us to be over all the rest of creation. That because he put a stamp of his image on you and I, you are an image bearer of the creator of the universe. Get that? That's crazy. And he wants to exalt you over everything else he's created. And it's beautiful. It's beautiful, the things that he's made. And he wants to lift you up over all that. You can read in Luke, it says, For, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And I think it's Romans 8 where it, 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 it talks about how uh, we become co-heirs with Christ himself. We're heirs of the Father, co-heirs with Jesus as, we, as he rules over all that he's created. As you're humble and you're poor in spirit, he would put you over everything as well as, uh, as we thirst for him to fill us with his righteousness. It says that we will be filled and he will give us that. He will empower us. He will strengthen us. This is what it means to be poor in spirit. And this is... I want you to get this. This is why I'm talking about this. This is our witness to a world that needs a transforming God. There are broken people. There are hurting people. People just like you and I. And they need a God to transform their hearts, to shape their souls, to pull them out of their situation. And we are living testimonies of a God who does that. But if we are not poor in spirit, and if you walked into this room tonight prideful of your own righteousness, pretty comfortable about how great you are, 
And you're wearing that on your shoulders because you are so good, because you aren't struggling with any sins. You are not pushing anyone to Christ. You are not representing Christ in your relationships. You are only showing how great you are, and you are trying to glorify yourself, and no one will come to know Jesus through people who only want to exalt themselves. Our radical commitment to Jesus in the relationships that we have as we show Christ to other people, it must be in a spirit that's impoverished, a spirit that realizes I am nothing without him, but actually with him, he changes everything in my life. He transformed me. He pulled me out of and made me into then in our relationships with other people, then they see a transforming God, the God that they need, and the God that can change their circumstances. Please know that. In your relationships with people, you aren't bringing them to Jesus by showing how great you are. You're just blinding them from the God that actually did all the work to make you where you are. And you're just trying to step in front of their view of God and say, look at me though. We need to step out of the way and say, look at him though. It starts with being poor in spirit. That's how we can show our radical commitment to Jesus, our radical love for Jesus, and our radical Jesus that radically changes us. That's how we show our relationships with other people, that God. It starts with being poor in spirit. Psalm 51, I just read it earlier. Uh, it's David's prayer to God about just the reality of his sin, his wretchedness. Uh, and if you kept reading to verse 17, it says, The sacrifice pleasing to God, and it doesn't say, is an amazing person that champions Righteousness that just does everything right. No, it says the sacrifice that's pleasing to God is a broken spirit because those broken spirits are the ones that shows the God that transforms. That is the person that God wants to work with. That's the person that God wants to use and show his glory to the world because they're poor in spirit and they just want to point to him, the one that actually did it all. I was talking to... uh, Lily Lauk, I think it was. Yeah, Lily. A few weeks ago, we were just talking about the reality of how we all struggle with sin. I struggle with sin. Guys, And I, I, I feel like I need to just always throw that in front of you. I really want you to always be remembered that uh, I am not perfect. I'm very far from it. Because I never want there to be that gap between you and I that I'm some guy standing up on this pedestal with the mic strapped to his face, uh, and he really knows what's going on, and, but me, I could never be there. Uh, I really want to always close that gap and just remind you as much as I can, man, I am with you, and I, uh, I deserve just as much to be sitting in that seat, um, and I don't even know if I deserve to be that person. <laughs> I, I struggle with sin. And I was talking with Lily uh, a few weeks ago about that, and probably the sin that I struggle with most. And I was like, ooh, let's get it. What is it? It's pride. I let this speak to my heart way too much. And maybe you let 
your righteousness speak a little bit too much to your heart and you start to forget who's the one that made you righteous. And let me tell you, and I was telling this to Lily, the more I let this speak into my ego, the more I crumble my witness to other people, the more I really step on my own toes when it comes to bringing people to know the Lord that I love and the Savior that I have, the more that I am so amazed with myself, the less I can show the God that really has made me who I am. And maybe that's you. Maybe you are so amazed with how great you are and you struggle to come up with a list that you have sin that you struggle with probably your greatest barrier to ever bringing anyone to know the faith that you have and to live for. We should all strive to be poor in spirit, that we should mourn the reality of our sin. Please mourn the reality that you're a sinner, and not only mourn it, but be humbled to know that you aren't changing anything in yourselves. And thirst and hunger, always have that hunger for a God to change that. Our God that would give you what it takes to be a righteous person and never forget that it was him that did it, not you. Because at that point, then we can show those who we are in relationship with the Savior that they need to transform their lives just like he transformed yours. That's, that's our radical commitment to a radical Savior in the context of our relationships. We hope you enjoyed the sermon. If you want to find out more about our youth ministry or any other ministry here at Evangel Temple, you can visit our website at etchurch.org. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you soon.